some of the research I, I've looked at have suggested that you have senior management who actually became successful because they put 60 hours, 70 hours a week working at their job, and that's mm-hmm. how they climbed the ranks. So when they're faced with new workers entering the workforce that say, now we want to finish in, in 40 hours, and can we perhaps look at some way of making that even more flexible? So there's a real disconnect with senior management versus new workers. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is June 20th, 2023, and we're talking with Zach Zachariah about the state of the global supply chain in the first six months of 2023 and the biggest threats facing the supply chain for the third quarter of the year, as reported in the latest Lehigh Business Supply Chain Risk Management Index. Dr. Zachariah is an Associate Professor of Supply Chain Management and Director of the Center for Supply Chain Research at Lehigh. Welcome back to the Illuminate podcast, Zach. Thanks, Jack. I'd like to start with uh, something that's been much in the news lately, and that's the gasoline truck fire that collapsed a section of I-95 in Northeast Philadelphia, not far from Lehigh, on June 11th. The state and federal governments are pumping a lot of money and other resources into repairing what is the main north-south highway on the East Coast in record time with the goal of reopening it to traffic by July 1. I think it's illustrative of something we've talked about on the podcast before, which is that in our global economy, an event that happens anywhere in the world can disrupt the global supply chain. So I wonder if you could talk a little about why this extraordinary effort is underway to minimize the disruption to the supply chain caused by the section of the highway that collapsed. First of all, it's important to realize that I-95 is the busiest interstate in the U.S. and has the dubious distinction on having the slowest interstate section in the country. There's a uh, particular section in New Jersey where the average speed is 29 miles per hour. That is, uh, you know, that is the slowest average speed anywhere in the country for an interstate. It serves 9 million trucks per year, $195 billion in freight goods move every year. And of course, I'm not at all talking about the commuter traffic that has to go uh, in there as well. I'm just talking about freight traffic. So yes, you know, this is very critical. Trucks, if they want to avoid this section completely, they'll have to potentially travel about 40 miles to completely detour. Um, Otherwise, they can come right up. And as a matter of fact, yesterday, I just traveled that section. And you go through a series of traffic lights and local roads. And just imagine that you've got these large interstate, uh, you know, traveling trucks having to commute through uh, somewhat uh, local roads is definitely going to add delays. And I think the real key issue is it's going to add costs to the system. So clearly, um, the federal government and the, um, you know, the Pennsylvania state government know that they have to get these things up as quick as possible. And their um, ambitious target is to get up uh, back and open in in two weeks. But if they don't do that, the costs to the economy are huge. Um, So that's just the the basic impact. To answer your other question, 
clearly, and we've talked about this in podcasts in the past, and that is that supply chains are very much interconnected. And, you know, you have uh, uh, a typhoon in Japan that had huge effects uh, to the global economy. You had a freeze in Texas about three years ago mm -hmm. that really eliminated, you know, plastic resin. And plastic resin is a foundation for so much of the manufacturing that, that goes on. Uh, I think we have finally, almost two years later, have finally gone back to that kind of uh, impact level. So, Clearly, and, and of course, we don't want to talk about COVID and all these things, but even simple events can have cascading effects uh, throughout the supply chain. We last talked about the supply chain um, right at the beginning of this. What was the new year at that time? So before we get into the, the nitty gritty of the latest Lehigh Business Supply Chain Risk Management Index, which I'll refer to as LRMI uh, for short for the rest of the way. Um, which looks ahead to the third quarter of 2023. I was wondering if you could just give us a kind of short overview of the main events that have transpired in the supply chain over the first six months of this year now. Sure. Uh, and, and I think it's important to realize that, you know, if you look at the third quarter now, and, and, and as you know, you know that I have companies that are part of my uh, advisory board in the Center for Supply Chain Research, and we talk about these issues. And so they're telling me that we still have labor issues. We still have uh, a bit of the bullwhip effect where people have overordered, thinking that there is going to be demand. And, and I think the, the best example of this is, is that um, there have been several companies that have invested in, uh, let's take a suggest things like uh, lawn furniture and, um, you know, garden kind of things that Last year, there was such an increase in demand because people were staying in their house and they weren't necessarily traveling. Well, that demand has somewhat evaporated. And you've got the the fact that now a lot of retailers are sitting on a lot of goods that they assumed would sell this year because they were basing it on what happened last year. And so you've got that bullwhip effect. Inflation is still an issue. And one of those new things that are actually happening, and I'm sure you've heard of this, is you know everyone talks about nearshoring. Um, and a new term, friend shoring. And by near shoring, you know, bringing manufacturing instead of remote locations, bringing it much closer uh, to the US. And, you know, Mexico has benefited a lot from that. And friend shoring, you know, finding countries that can be viewed as friends of the US that still has lower labor costs. Another um, factor that has uh, become very, very apparent is the new Inflation Reduction Act has bought a, a lot of growth in manufacturing in, in the deep south. You know, um, in fact, I was talking to one executive who told me that we are, um, in, in some sense, we are taking technology and manufacturing processes that were developed in China and bringing that back to the US. Uh, you know, they're building plants in Tennessee and Alabama, um, you know, Kentucky, so on to get access to the U.S. market. The uh, Inflation Reduction Act has really pushed an effort into electric cars, that kind of battery manufacturing, these kinds of things. So that has uh, definitely sort of increased, um, you know, a growth in manufacturing, which is a, a really new and surprising trend as we start to bring manufacturing back to the U.S., um, Another factor I think that's still very relevant as far as my uh, advisory board members are concerned is that uh, labor, you know, um, they're dealing with issues 
of working from home. In fact, one of our, our members talked about the fact that there seems to be a bit of a disconnect in the same uh, warehouse or manufacturing location. It is possible for the uh, sort of the white collar workers uh, who are not directly involved in manufacturing and more of the office uh, could potentially stay at home, but it's completely unfair to the people who are actually doing the manufacturing because they have to come to the uh, to the warehouse or to the to the factory. And so right. these are issues that are um, you know are trending. Uh, and also, I'm sure you're aware that there has been a real increase in office building vacancies, and and this is going to become a real issue. You know, a lot of the people uh, that are on my board have told told me that they've gone to a three day mandatory in-office policy, a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, just so that they could, you know, schedule meetings. And they're not really able to, uh, you know, go back to five days. But some of the executives I've talked to have told me that they, that's what they would like to have, but they're getting pushback. And, uh, you know, so they're sort of compromising on on the three-day uh, aspect. And of course, as you know, the feds are continuing to raise their rates and it's slowing the economy down. It is working. Uh, and I think the consumers are really beginning to think about major price, you know, purchases as prices keep increasing. But as you know, um, the inflation rate went down this last quarter. Right. Um, and so that's really kind of uh, kind of good uh, as far as that goes. All right. So let's turn to the uh, third quarter risk index report. And just to recap quickly, the LRMI was developed in 2020 by the Center for Supply Chain Research at Lehigh and the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals. And as we've discussed on previous podcasts, the risk index is a number between zero and 100, where greater than 50 suggests increased risk, 50 suggests the same risk, and less than 50 suggests decreased risk. The numbers are based on ratings submitted by participating supply chain professionals on whether they felt the risk for the upcoming quarter, in this case, the third quarter of 2023, compared to the risk in the second quarter would likely increase, remain the same, or decrease for 10 different supply chain categories. So let's start with the average risk, which heading into the third quarter this year came in at 6518 how does that compare to the average risk in the past couple of years? And what does that tell us? So, you know, 65.18 is is a low risk. Um, you know, for the last three quarters, we were uh, hovering around 65. Uh, but just over a year ago, we were at 69.5. And remember, as um, I had talked earlier, the an increase of, of four points is not a linear increase. Actually, it's a um, it's a little bit more. Um, it's not necessarily an exponential curve, but the number four is not just a, an arithmetic increase. Um, so that is significant. We, uh, for most part, supply chain managers, I think that there has been less risk uh, these last three quarters than there was a year ago. And you know, we have uh, um, definitely uh, people are thinking that there is less risk going on. For the second quarter in a row, cybersecurity and data risk leads the 10 risk categories included in the index. But it has opened a wider gap on the second risk category, which remains economic risk, increasing significantly by five points to 82.86 on the risk index. So what factors go into cybersecurity and data risk? And what are some of the biggest threats 
that supply chain professionals have reported they're most concerned about? So the kind of factors we talk about is, you know, cyber attacks, data corruption, data theft, system viruses, you know, security platform controls. And um, I think that, as you know, as, as more and more people work from home, there is a, uh, you know, less security from those kinds of remote workers. And so there is a, a greater risk. And, you know, I don't have any absolute evidence to back this up, but there is a sense that, um, you know, the cyber attacks are in many cases state-sponsored with uh, Russia and China being uh, actively involved as opposed to just a, a bunch of hackers sitting in some basement somewhere. And, and so now, you know, our companies, our U.S. companies have become, you know, very, very good targets. Uh, and clearly the system has made us more aware of, of these kinds of risks. And, you know, um, they, I, it was uh, companies know they have to invest to try and protect. And but as I think you and I talked about, the majority uh, if not all of these kinds of attacks only get through because a human being clicked on something that they shouldn't necessarily have. And it was so funny. I actually fell for one of these kinds of tricks that the Lehigh University LTS uh, actually sent out. And it was a phishing email. And then they forced me to go and watch a video and go through uh, half an hour or an hour of training uh, <laughs> and all this. Um, but it was done so well. And it's the funny thing was it was a wellness, uh, you know, email and said, click on here to to do this wellness thing. And then actually that was on my to-do list. And I didn't pay attention and I clicked on the link and then, aha, they got you. And so I'm very much reminded that, you know, it's not necessarily that the companies don't have excellent systems in place. They can be bypassed by just an inadvertent uh, choice that a single employee makes. Now, economic risk had hovered above 80 on the risk index for seven straight quarters from the third quarter of 2021 through the first quarter of this year, peaking at I believe this is still the all-time high for any category, 90.72 in the third quarter of last year. Um, it remains number two in the new index, inching up just slightly from the previous quarter to 75.96. So what are some of the main factors that go into this category? So the kind of factors we look at is, you know, increasing energy costs, um, commodity price volatility, labor sh uh, shortages, uh, demand shocks, global energy shortages, you know, border delays. So these are all the kind of factors that, that people consider when they're looking at economic risk. Okay. And even though economic risk has dropped a whopping 15 points in just the past year, it obviously remains a concern to supply chain professionals. So what are some of the issues you're hearing about that they see as most threatening now? Well, so some of our comments that the people who filled out the survey talked about was inflation, uh, bank failures. Uh, we had one person that said that the Fed is uh, being out of touch as they continually try and, you know, uh, increase the rates, uh, which makes the economic risk um, resource scarcity, especially qualified labor. And the feds are trying to be very careful, right? You have to sort of manage. Uh, you don't want the economy necessarily to go into a recession, but you have to manage the inflationary pressure. So 
these are all factors that uh, really weigh in on the economy. And you had mentioned the labor shortage earlier. Um, and, you know, obviously this became a, a huge uh, issue during um, the worst of the global pandemic. Um, what is kind of driving that now that, you know, the, the, the problem is persisting so strongly across the board? Well, as, as far as labor is concerned, I, I think you've definitely, you know, one of the things that COVID did, I mean, COVID did so many changes, but as you know, some people really questioned, um, you know, what are they doing? And, and they started to find you, you couldn't just necessarily throw money at, at the problem. And I think um, the new uh, workers that are in, entering the, the workforce, so my students, you know, that, that I actually mm-hmm. uh, have at university and are entering the workforce, they are very much concerned about, um, you know, life, uh, I guess, a life balance, a work-life balance. They're concerned about things like the uh, potential to work remotely, um, to have flexible schedules and things like that. And just throwing additional money isn't necessarily going to make a, uh, a, a difference. And I think, you know, some of the research I, I've looked at have suggested that you have senior uh, management um, who actually became successful because they put 60 hours, 70 hours a week working at their job, and that's how they climbed the ranks. So when they're faced with new uh, workers entering the workforce that say, no, we want to finish in, in 40 hours, and can we perhaps look at some way of making that even more flexible? And, um, you know, so there's a real disconnect with senior management versus uh, new workers. And so, and you're seeing that ripple effect of, of labor issues going uh, throughout the supply chain. Uh, so I think that this is still going to be an issue going forward. I mean, people are really going to uh, push for more flexibility. And I think that companies are going to be very hard pressed to continue insisting on a regular uh, five-day work week when they can. But I mean, you know, obviously, certain kinds of, you know, hospitals, manufacturing, uh, particular kind of things that still run those kinds of, you know, 24-7 have got to just figure out ways to deal with these kinds of labor issues. Now, customer risk has been over 70 on the index for four of the past five quarters and has ranked third on the index for all three quarters this year so far, although it actually ticked down one point uh, from the second quarter, it still remains at 72.86. So again, same questions. What are the main factors in customer risk that are being included in this? And what are the biggest threats that supply chain professionals have talked about in that category as they look forward to the next three months? Well, you know, the the factors that are taken into account in customer risk is, you know, fast changing customer demand, um, easy to lose customer loyalty, changing customer base demographics, hard to predict customer behavior, hard to meet uh, you know customer expectations. I mean, these are all um, kind of factors because our customer preferences are changing and uh, and they're getting more um, more customized, the need to be able to provide, specifically what the customer wants. And of course, you know, we're having problems also with returns. Some of the large uh, e-commerce companies are looking at ways to restrict uh, returns because that's a significant added cost um, that 
they they have to to deal with uh and and as you know when we we talked a little bit about this is is that the customer demand being highly variable has meant that you don't have a real um increase in you know transportation demand um consumer credit debt is now at um pretty pretty high uh that's probably going to become troublesome in the future if they start to default on some of that uh, you know and consumers are are making uh different choices uh you know you can now see that uh, um you know everybody predicted that there would really be this rush to e-commerce i mean e-commerce has happened but now regular bricks and mortar is is starting to recover and consumers are going back there but you know i just went to my local giant and i still see that they have a section for people who just order online and mm-hmm. pick it up uh, my students tell me in, in my own class so these are you know uh very able-bodied uh, 22 year olds um and that, that aren't necessarily afraid of covid have always have just continued to just order online and pick it up from the store they don't want to go into the store uh, which is kind of an interesting thing when you think about it i think there's probably you know as a result of the pandemic i, I I think certainly those of us who are are older found out that we we really kind of missed that experience of shopping in a store instead of just, you know, clicking on a computer. And, you know, I think that that's certainly been a part of uh, what's fueled this drive, you know, back into brick and mortar stores because it's it's a different experience. It's not, you know, better or worse. It's just different. And for those who like it, it's something that I think for the first time in their lives when they couldn't do it, they realized how much they wanted to exactly and i think that people were actually kind of surprised by how much people i mean companies were kind of surprised by how much they did want to go back to the bricks and mortar experience and and i completely agree with you i like going shopping i like you know an apple picking up the apple myself or the banana <laughs> or whatever else you know i i want to yep. look at what they have and uh you know, um, so we've actually had shoppers. So my students have actually played that role of being shoppers. And they say that, you know, they have to check for the right product. And then they, if they don't have that particular thing. They have to, they have a list of items that they could substitute for this, you know, online purchaser. So, you know, you are going to get a group of people that will always continue to order online. But the vast majority of people do like the, especially, you know, things like grocery shopping and maybe even regular, um, you know, retail stores, they, they are going back to that. But remember, this is not anywhere near, you know, pre-pandemic levels. It's, it right. is going back, but I don't see, you know, the malls being full of cars again. I <laughs> still see that. Yeah. And I'm sure you've noticed that as well. Right. And, you know, we, we've actually done a couple of podcasts on the issue of, you know, the future of malls. And I don't know that there will be malls. I think that's already changing to this, you know, storefront entryway thing where people can park, go to the store they want and come back out. But that's getting us a little off topic here. So <laughs> let's get back to uh, actually, in a sense, the the topic that we started with and that you've talked about a couple of other times, and that's uh, government intervention risk, which is the fourth category over 70, which is pretty high. Um, what are the factors in that category and what are the supply chain professionals most concerned about relating to government intervention? Well, so the factors are new regulations, uh, tariffs, trade wars, uh, government restrictions 
on source materials, source technologies. As you know, the U.S. has come out very strongly in uh, in selling secure technology to the to the Chinese. I mean, we saw a little bit of thawing between China and U.S. yesterday, as you know, with the uh, Blinken uh, going over there. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a this is a huge issue. You know, um, everyone is being very wary about this. Uh, but you know, neither side can. Uh, live without the other. The U.S. cannot live without, uh, you know, not having China involved, and China cannot live without the U.S. So there are going to be, you know, they have to figure out a way to, to work together. But supply chain professionals are very concerned about that. You know, clearly supply chain professionals are worried about the debt uh, that that we have, you know. Um, and you you have government regulations like the independent contractor law that could affect transportation companies, you know, freight companies. And uh, whenever you have these kinds of, you know, uh, global trade issues is is still a big factor. I mean, you and I talked about the fact that um, Russia attacking uh, the Ukraine has shifted the whole global view, the, the idea that globalization is always good, just go to the lowest cost place. Well, that has really retrenched. Uh, people are now thinking about ways to how to manufacture locally and uh, because you can't rely on global supply chains that can be affected by political decisions that have nothing to do with the uh, economy, but nevertheless has a direct effect on on your bottom line. Now, there are a couple other categories that I, I find interesting in this report. And environmental risk is one and transportation disruption risk is the other, both of which increased by seven points in the new index. Now, environmental risk had hung out pretty consistently in the bottom half of the risk index in the past, um, and this time shot up to the top five for the first time in the third quarter report. So does this signal that the extreme weather and natural disasters that have become alarmingly more frequent in in recent years, um, that these are really registering with supply chain professionals and, and kind of keeping uh, keeping them up at night. Yeah, you know, um, I'm glad you brought this up, uh, Jack. This this was a very surprised addition to the top five. Uh, it's never been up there, but this suggests, uh, you know, and if you look at the comments that the people who filled out the survey put in have uh, identified, you know, natural disasters seem to be increasing. The summer hurricane season is approaching, and th- these are, um, you know, it looks like we're going to have more hurricanes coming. Um, global warming seems to become a factor for increasingly more extreme weather, um, again, leading to increased risk. I mean, uh, I'm sure you were coughing a week uh, ago, you know, when we were getting that smoke from <laughs> Quebec, you mm-hmm. know, and just imagine fires, you know, almost a thousand miles away. We could, I mean, I'm sure you, I actually came out and I could smell smoke. I mean, this was, it's yeah. just a, crazy thing when you think about it you know um so um there there are uh, people who fill out the survey who don't necessarily buy into the fact that there is been increased global warming but companies um i think for the most part can see that the events the weather events are becoming perhaps more extreme and this is leading to um to factors i think that have made environmental risk a more important risk to consider going forward now, unlike environmental risk, transportation disruption risk, uh, pretty much for the three years that uh, you've been 
doing the LRMI um, has lived in you know the top half most of the time and just recently dropped down to the lowest of the 10 risk categories for the first time in the second quarter. But I noticed in this report, um, that seven point increase has moved it out of the basement to number eight. Um, so what does that tell us? Well, and I, and I sort of alluded to this before, mm -hmm. transportation demand is still very soft. In other words, we have much more capacity than freight. In fact, one of our uh, advisory board uh, you know, executives said that for the first time ever, I have transportation company executives calling and asking if there's any freight that we need to move because they just have, um, you know, capacity. Um, but uh, you know, the transportation uh, executives who actually run these companies are also saying that we are relying on on relationships. You know, if you go chasing after the the lowest price, well, um, you know, demand is going to come back. And when demand comes back, prices are going to go up and people are going to remember. Um, so relationships still re really matter. So transportation is always a big risk in you know factor in supply chains as a whole but because you've got such a surplus in capacity and um, you know um, you could see and as i sort of um suggested before a lot of the 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 retail companies have inventory so they're not out there trying to fill up their warehouses we have a real you know we have much more inventory than is normal for this time of the year and so therefore until that inventory gets purchased you're not going to have demand for transportation, which is why transportation risk is still uh, relatively very low. Okay. Now, we obviously have, have talked about a lot of different things today, and um, but I would like to give you the opportunity before we close, uh, looking at that, the third quarter report, if there are any other trends you've spotted in the latest LRMI that our listeners should be aware of. Well, you know, um, obviously, labor factors, as I talked about, and, and inflation um, are, are really uh, important things going ahead and potentially a recession later this year. You know, in that um, interview that we conducted the first quarter, um, I had suggested to you that uh, most of the executives I talked to felt optimistic that we had avoided a recession and that we were going to be climbing out of the recession and would be in great shape by the, the third quarter of this year. But now, um, you know, talking to these same executives, there seems a belief that there we are going to go into a recession as the feds keep increasing rates to try and slow down inflation. It's most likely going to push our um, our economy in that direction. And now people are suggesting maybe it won't be the fourth quarter we're going to recover. It might be the first quarter of next year because. Uh, overall demand is still relatively soft. Uh, inflation is there. Prices are increasing. And, you know, um, are the consumers going to start purchasing the, the big items that sort of charge up the economy? Uh, or will the Fed's continued increasing of rates cool the economy further so you go into a recession? You know, obviously, we're not sure. And But, you know, I do think that we're going to be going through some very interesting times ahead. Zach, it's always a pleasure, and I'd like to thank you again for being with us on the Illuminate podcast today. Thanks very much, Jack. I always really appreciate a chance to talk to you about our LRMI uh, reports that uh, is now um, you know, being sent out.
Now, in addition to serving as director of the Center for Supply Chain Research at Lehigh, Zach Zachariah teaches graduate and undergraduate courses in supply chain operations management and logistics and transportation. Zach is an example of how the faculty and students at Lehigh Business are generating new ideas for education and future knowledge in the field of supply chain management. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business Blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh Business thought leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. This is Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening.